Good evening, Bards Nation. This is a nice little change, I think, for my entry music since we're in holiday season. And it's kind of like the cool place to be here in Bards Nation. It is Christmas week, and we are winding into the Christmas weekend. So not knowing where you're going to be, if you're going to be traveling on the show, not on the show, we're going to wish everybody a Merry Christmas about every single show here going forward. So everybody gets that. It's a pretty cool day indeed and time indeed. I'll tell you right now, make sure in the midst of all of this, if you have all your Christmas shopping done, great. But the great place to go, one of the best places to get the things you need is MyPillow.com. MyPillow.com is going to ensure that you get that warm, wintry, good sleep. You know how that goes. Good pillow, good sheets, good mattress or mattress topper. And then when you wake up in the morning with that down comforter on top of you, and a beautiful duvet. All of those things come from MyPillow. And then you step out in the bed and you, with your MyPillow pajamas on and you step right into a set of MyPillow slippers. And then to top it all off, you walk on in, set up, grab your espresso machine or coffee maker, and you have a cup of my coffee, all from my coffee and my pillow accessories. Can't get better than that. A whole sleep and morning experience direct from MyPillow.com. Head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards, and it is the place to shop, place to be, place to get armed for the winter, especially if you're up there in Montana. It's kind of cold right now. They are making quite a hype of that, aren't they? Kind of a ridiculous hype about the cold. And it they do make this big thing. It's like, oh, it's, it's cold. It's like, yeah. It's crazy cold. It's it's minus 32. It's like, yeah, have you been up there ever? <laughs> because it is cold in Montana, as it gets cold that way. I don't know if it's been that cold every year, but when I grew up, Montana was that cold. My family lived in eastern Montana, and I've lived in northern Minnesota. So minus 32 is a normal temperature for the wintertime, in spite of our panic-fear-driven media. He wants to make it sound like it's the end, but they're probably panicking. I'm beginning to believe they are panicking because they're all lizard heads. And with that, they're probably afraid that they're all going to freeze and fall in frozen positions and go into hibernation or something. This is the global cooling, which used to be called global warming, which now is being called climate change. And I'm going to tell you what, if you have a Tesla... I'm just going to start there. If you've got a Tesla, good luck on doing more than about two miles. If you haven't discovered this yet, batteries don't do well in the cold. It is um, not working out well. So the last time they had a major cold snap like this up in Alberta, the Teslas couldn't go more than about 20 miles. So good luck for you, especially with the power outages that are going on. And I would not recommend driving your Tesla, and I mean this seriously, I would not be driving my Tesla at all or your electric car at all in this weather. Bad idea. Because if you get stuck in a blizzard or in a snowbank or a drift, let me tell you, if your car don't run, you don't stay warm. When I lived up in Minnesota, it was regular preparedness every year to make sure you had all your cold weather gear, sleeping bag, water, some food, things to keep you warm, emergency blankets, everything else. 
extra clothing. You kept it always in your car and handy. And I'm, it is, it was amazing to me how many people in a small population in northern Minnesota will tell stories about getting caught in a snowdrift and having to sit there for a day or two in their car. So if you are running an electric car, bad idea. Unless, of course, you want the Darwin Award, and I'm sure that can be arranged. Or you can just do it yourself. It's not going to be that hard. I want to uh, read a story here. I read one earlier. This is another nice story. And this is the story. I think that, um, I think you've all seen this print, this sketch. It's kind of, it's a painting sketch. It's not really a painting. But it's, it's called The Praying Hands. And it's by Albrecht Dürer. Albrecht Dürer. It's a beautiful set of hands that are come together. And this there's a set of sleeve, there's a cuffs that are rolled back right below the wrist. One of his famous paintings it has quite a story behind it. I want to read it to you here. Back in the 15th century, a tiny in a tiny village near Nuremberg lived a family with 18 children. Can you imagine that? 18 children? Man, that's old school. There was a family in northern Minnesota that had 20 children, and that's modern day, and that was normal for those farm families. Today, it's crazy. In order merely to keep food on the table for this mob, the father and head of the household, a goldsmith by profession, worked almost 18 hours a day at his trade and any other paying chore he could find in the neighborhood. Despite their seemingly hopeless condition, two of the elder children, Albrecht and Albert, had a dream. They both wanted to pursue their talent for art, but they knew they knew full well that their father would never be financially able to send either of them to Nuremberg to study at the academy. After many long discussions at night in their crowded bed, the two boys finally worked out a pact. They would toss a coin, the loser would go into the nearby mines and, with his earnings, support his brother while he attended the academy. Then, when that brother who won the toss completed his studies, in four years he would support the other brother at the academy either with sales of his art or, if necessary, also by laboring in the mines. They tossed a coin on a Sunday morning before church. Albrecht Dürer won the toss and went off to Nuremberg. Albert went down into the dangerous mines and for the next four years financed his brother, whose work at the academy was almost an immediate sensation. Albrecht's etchings... His woodcrafts and his oils were far better than those of most of his professors, and by the time he graduated, he was beginning to earn a considerable fee for his commissioned work. When the young artist returned to the village, the Durer family held a festive dinner on the lawn to celebrate Albrecht's triumphant homecoming. After a long and memorial meal, punctuated with music and laughter, Albrecht rose from his honored position at the head of the table to drink a toast to his beloved brother for the years of sacrifice that had enabled Albrecht to find to fulfill his ambition. His closing words were, and now, Albert, blessed brother of mine, 
Now it is your turn. Now you can go to Nuremberg to pursue your dream, and I will take care of you. All heads turned in eager expectation to the far end of the table where Albert sat, tears streaming down his pale face. Shaking his lowered head from side to side while he sobbed and repeated over and over, No, 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 no. Finally, Albert rose and wiped the tears from his cheeks. He glanced down the long table at the faces he loved, and then, holding his hands close to his right cheek, he said softly, No, brother, I cannot go to Nuremberg. It is too late for me. Look, look what four years in the mines have done to my hands. The bones in every finger have been smashed at least once. And lately, I have been suffering from arthritis so badly in my right hand that I cannot even hold a glass to return your toast. Much less make delicate lines on parchment and canvas with a pen or a brush. No, brother, for me, it is too late. More than 450 years have passed. By now, Albrecht Durer's hundreds of masterful portraits, pen and silver paint sketches, watercolors, charcoals, woodcuts, and copper engravings hang in every great museum in the world. But the odds are great that you, like most people, are familiar with only one of Albrecht Durer's work. More than merely being familiar with it, you very well may have a reproduction hanging in your home or office. One day, to pay homage to Albert for all that he had sacrificed, Albrecht Durer painstakingly drew his brother's abused hands with palms together and thin fingers stretched outwards. He called his powerful drawing simply hands, but the entire world almost immediately opened their hearts to his great masterpiece and renamed his tribute of love, The Praying Hands. The next time you see a copy of that touching creation, take a second look. Let it be your reminder that no one, no one, ever makes it alone. And that is so true. We live in a very interesting world. And it's a world where we tend to think that we can conquer things by ourselves. It's pretty indicative in this modern day where people think that they can walk this world even without Jesus or a relationship with God. And these stories like this are very powerful to remind us of the commitment that true families make to one another and the willingness to sacrifice, even if it's a sacrifice that they didn't intend. That sort of relationship that is there was also indicative of their faith. We see it in our country's history. We listen to the stories last hour of George Washington and his men that were suffering in Valley Forge and these difficult times where they were nearly without food. Many, some were starving. They were dying of malnutrition and, and disease. Many didn't even have wraps for their feet in the dead of winter. 
There was stories, if you go to Valley Forge, of men walking through the snow and leaving tracks of blood. And yet, when George Washington approached them, all they could say was that they wanted to get more. They wanted to win this war, that they had already gone far enough that they could not go back. I ask myself that a lot in our country these days, is where is that point where people will embrace that fire? I know how it was for me in Afghanistan. It was voluntary like most. Mine was even more unique because my missions I could pick and choose. But there wasn't a choice for me. And I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. It's an environment in which you live. And you're working with men and women that you, no matter what your station is, there was only one way, and that was forward. I've seen that spirit in the American soldier. And I've seen that spirit in the people I grew up with in just America as itself. And today, with all of this nonsense that's going on in the social media, I know that that is still here. But it seems that the noise and confusion and chaos of the headlines drowned out the real nature of the human spirit. And we can't let it. The platforms that we're on like this are mechanisms to come together in fellowship, to unite, to find the words and the prayers and the relationships that we can share and build each other. And it's an amazing fellowship that has been built here in Bars Nation. It's inspirational. In fact, I have this conversation regularly with some people that are connected to some big groups nationally. And I describe what goes on in our community. And they don't know how to apply it to where they are because they've not seen anything like this. Where they are, people are still holding back. They're trying to find reasons to not do work or they're trying to rationalize what they're seeing in the old way. They don't know what steps to make. They're not inspired to take a stand or they don't know how. And I don't know how to relate to that. Sure, I can give a lecture. I can give a talk. But I don't know how to relate to it in my heart because I've never been like that in my life. You have to stand up. You have to do things. You have to overcome. This story of Albrecht and Albert is a beautiful story of two brothers that made the commitment to overcome impossible odds. And in the end, one becomes great and the other is even greater, in my opinion, Albert, because he gave up everything to allow Albrecht to rise. And in truth, there's probably a deep spiritual connection there. I think God probably rewarded them both in their own way. And it's almost like Albrecht carried all of what Albert wanted to be along with what Albrecht could be, and he made it into something great. The one thing you get from that story is nothing was wasted. Time was not wasted. Obstacles weren't there to put them down. They overcame. They came up with a plan. They didn't sit down with their father to say, what do you think? And there was probably some of that discussion, but in, these, in the simple part of the story is they made the pact with be, between themselves. And they knew if they didn't, everything would be lost. 
and knew there was no way out of where they were going to be unless they committed everything to this fight. I ask myself many times, what's it going to take for our nation to realize that everything is at stake? We talk in big concepts of spiritual warfare. We talk in big ideas that we're literally fighting for the salvation of our souls, that what's at stake is our soul, is our, is our spiritual freedom. And there's, that's all true. And yet for the common person, I don't think that they relate to that well. I think they have a hard time framing that story from the narrative they are when they look around and there's still plenty of groceries on the shelves. You tell them shortages are coming and they go, I went to Walmart, I didn't see anything. You tell them the gas is going to become, it could become more scarce. They say, well, all I've seen is an increase in price of fuel. The dollar is going to collapse. Well, I just, there's a lot of inflation right now. I mean, there's always an answer. And yet, there's an unwillingness to stand up and defy. This simple story right here is also a story of defiance. Because against all odds, they should not, these two brothers should not have been successful. But there's also another piece in there which I find amazing. All these little pieces in this story that they unlock historically. You notice how this family, whose father was a goldsmith, he was working 18 hours a day and taking on whatever other jobs he had. I want you to think about that for a minute, just the amount of commitment it was to be a father. And then, of course, there's the commitment of a mother of bearing 18 children. And then there's the part about going to the academy. Notice he did, he's not part of royal blood. He just had to get into the academy, which says, says that there's a different value of assessment of who can come and who can't. Today, whether it's because universities are going to deny you because of your race, like because you're white or you're not a, a queer or you're not black or you're not Hispanic, they're going to give preferential treatment to everybody else but one class of people. It also, when they get there, you're going to be, if you're elite white, then you'll have no problem. If you're trying to struggle to get out of these these lower levels, you're going to find barrier after barrier because someone's going to tell you you can't. You don't have the right pedigree. You don't have the right family. You don't have the right money base. It's going to be too expensive for you. You don't have the right grades. Everything is a negative. And we've let that sort of negativity in our lives and in our headlines and in our daily lives, which have nothing to do with our gifts and talents, by the way. But they have everything to do about enslaving us. This story is also about freedom. Albrecht finds freedom. And I don't know how this story ends, but I can't imagine that Albert and Albrecht did not have a good relationship for the rest of their lives. He was committed enough to his brother to do this one sketch of his brother's praying hands. It has become, and it speaks to the power of God to me in that moment, because that's where God brings them both together to send a message through a visual for the rest of the world to never forget the power of prayer. All of this comes down to that comes down to a time and a place where we have to make really dis- definitive choices. We have to make the choice of are we going to make the commitments that Albrecht and Albert did? Some of us will be Albert, 
and we will toil and sacrifice for the benefit of the of others to rise up to be seen and to be have their work shown to the world others will be albrecht where your work that you do will be recognized it will be visibly changing but you can't have one without the other and in all of that relationship that relationship could easily be shown as jesus and us but jesus made the sacrifice for us to for us to succeed and to succeed beyond our wildest dreams so in that case jesus was albert and we are albrecht but are we achieving the greatness of what albrecht did that's a question we should be asking ourselves that every day Think about the impossible odds and the confidence that it took and the commitment and faith it took for Albrecht to go to academy and to immerse himself so deeply in art, which was his known gift to him, that he would, in short order, exceed beyond the limit the capabilities of his own professors and would become well-known within the worlds that he operated in. I don't, in studying a little bit about Albrecht, I don't get any idea that he ever doubted that. How many people out here have doubted their gifts and talents that God gave them to walk away from them? My own story. When I was in college, I was compelled to go and and pursue photography. It's all I wanted to do. And yet I let everyone else tell me I shouldn't. I don't regret where I ended up. I ended up, even then I had to fight an uphill battle. I ended up walking away from the business department and the engineering department. I was good at that. I was good at engineering. I was good at high-level math. I looked at even pursuing a degree in math and high-level math. And business came natural to me. So all those things were degree programs that I could have done. Instead, I took the degree program. I wanted to go into the art school and get my degree in photography. And I was encouraged not to do that because that's a good hobby, I was told. So I went into history. And I don't regret any of that, by the way. It's a great decision. But I immersed myself deeply in it. And it's ended up being one of those things that I never imagined that even today... I couldn't function like I do had I not done what I did then. It was a good gift to listen to. And it was a gift that was pretty evident to me. But there was that thing about photography. And I played with photography, and every time I touched a camera, something good would happen. And I, yet I walked away from it. I took pictures in the Depression in Houston, went around the city. That was back in the 80s when the oil boom, it was an oil bust and the vacant cities and the juxtaposition of poverty and extreme rich, that was happening all over the place. And those pictures got published all over in magazines in France, and yet I didn't pursue photography. And then in when I ran my construction business, I was obsessed with taking photographs of my own work, of the process of the work to document it. This is well before digital. This was still in film period. And I remember I had a photographer, he was a garden photographer, good one, one of the best in the country, that came out and started taking pictures of the hardscapes that I was building. That Those got published. 
then I had a graphic designer that I hired. And it was pretty easy for him because I had a lot of photograph- photographs for him to work with to build material. I remember him saying one day, he goes, I don't, I don't think you build things because you're passionate about building. You build beautiful things. My work had been published in Better Homes and Gardens. It had been published in a lot of other magazines. Had had stories written on me there in Lo- in the Oregonian and or in Portland. And yet he hit on something. He said, I don't think you build things because of your passion of wood. He says, and I know you love wood. He says, but I think you build things because of your passion to, for photography so that you can photograph them. That was a really interesting statement. So when I turned 40, I made a decision that no matter what I was going to do, I was going to start finally grabbing onto that gift. And so I worked in the days and spent time in the dark room at night, literally every day, at least five days a week, sometimes six. And I'd get up at five and, and go to work and I'd work on the construction projects I had. And then I would come home, grab dinner, and then I would go and I'd go out on the street in Portland and I would film almost every night, photograph, and then I'd go into the dark room on the weekends or something. And that led to getting a couple essays, photo essays published, etc. But then I hit this interesting point. And I was offered two things. And I guess I look back on this and I'm like, man, did God ever put a fork in my road that I didn't recognize then, but I do now. And it was this. I was given the opportunity to go to Kyoto, Japan, and study under one of the great garden masters in the world, one who built Zen gardens all over the world. And I had an opportunity with a letter of introduction in true Japanese style to fly over there and be introduced to him and then to mentor under him for a couple of years or so. Or I could choose to go to Afghanistan and pursue combat photography. And for the first time, I listened to where and to what God had put on my heart. Best decision I ever made. I shut my business down over 60 days and turned down the offer to Kyoto and went to Afghanistan. And I've never turned back. 15 months later, after making that decision, I was awarded an Emmy for my photography, my video work, and I was nominated for a Peabody. I say all these things because those are far beyond me. Those aren't reflections of me. Those are reflections of listening and working with Father God. And that's well before I knew him as intimately as I do now. And I don't even know if Albrecht, at the time of his choice to go to academy, if he knew his deep relationship with God. But I will tell you that when he did this sketch of the praying hands of his brother, God was present. So in this time right now when we have so much disruption and we have so much chaos, most of it's in our minds. Most of the stress of the world we're doing to ourselves and in the process of doing that, we're we're quieting our heart and our relationship to God. We're becoming angry when we shouldn't be. Sure, there's righteousness. I got it. But we're not going to solve this thing through anger and violence. We're going to solve this thing through the glory and beauty that God creates. That's the story here of Albrecht and Albert. It's overcoming what seems impossible. 
this beast of a system that we have is threatening everything under the sun right now. It's coming at us from every single angle. I listened to some interviews today, pretty well-known people in the movement talking about like, wow, you know, we're getting hit on every side. It's coming at us. If everybody isn't like wringing their hands and not sleeping at night, you're not really understanding the fight. And I'm like, that's funny because I'm sleeping really well right now. What little sleep I'm giving myself because it's busy right now. Not because I'm stressed. So what is it? It's that when we really walk in that presence of the Father and we walk in with the Holy Spirit, we're connecting in ways to see this world and to feel this world closer and closer through his eyes. There is and should be no fear. Instead, there should be the pursuit of our talents. Imagine if you took 70 million people, those people that voted for President Trump, that we're just going to lump in for this sake of discussion because we know that group is not like the hive mind fools on the other side. And we know for the large degree of that group that they are at least have an acceptance of Jesus. They may not all have accepted Jesus, but they have an acceptance of Jesus, which is powerful. Well, let's just say that that's 70 million, just for the sake of talking. We could water that down to like Gideon, and we could take it down to just a few. But for the sake of this conversation, we're going to imagine that that 70 million did a couple of things. They just quit worrying about the headlines. That they quit worrying about what the government was threatening to do. They quit worrying about meeting all the obligations that the government is telling us we have to do, and instead put all of their energy into the gift and the talent that was most present before them. Because you have to start somewhere. When you look at the artist, Albrecht, and you look at the range of work he's done, watercolors, charcoals, woodcuts, copper engravings, silver print, silver point sketches, Pen and ink. I mean, if you haven't done art at all, what I just said there is a whole range of skills. It isn't just a point of like, oh, he's got an expression capability. Each one of those has a different method and means to getting it. But somewhere he had to start. And as he pursued that, that world and his passion led him through the glory of the Holy Spirit and, and the blessings of Father God that has led him to do greater and greater things and to expand that out. That's a gift. And so we are here and now facing similar issues because in the process of us getting so obsessed with the headlines and the heaviness of the world, and it isn't to say that we don't need to worry about, you know, be con concerned or be proactive would be a better term to get ourselves back to the fundamentals of taking care of our lives. But this is like a big step for us. In this time, it's like, wow, I've built a garden. And yet I go back and I listen to the stories of, remember the stories of my grandparents. And yeah, they had a garden. And my grandmother did her own quilts. And my grandmother canned. And my grandmother cooked. And my grandmother did the laundry. And my grandmother ran a cafe. My grandfather was a, ran a mail route. He hunted. He skinned, he provided meat for the family, he also tended to the garden, he maintained the house, 
He worked in the cafe with my grandmother on off days. I'm, and I'm saying, okay, why are we making, why is this such a big deal for us? Because that's a normal life. They didn't have cell phones. Well, there's a big one because they didn't spend half their time on social media. Instead, they spent their time doing things with their hands. My grandfather was an exceptional shot, by the way. And not because he spent hundreds of hours at the range trying to learn to be a tactical expert. It's because he grew up with a gun in his hand and that was part of the process of life. And he was known to be an excellent shot. He was known to be also a great rodeo guy. He was one of the great rodeo guys in Montana. He was also a professional sparring partner for boxers that came through the area. He was also a sheep rancher. All of these things. He also worked in a steel mill. He knew how to repair cars. He, he just start listing all the things that he, he was great with horses, masterful at horses, in fact. And you start listing all these things that the older generation did, and you're like, my goodness, what's happened to us? What's happened to us is we've become lost in information. Not in tangible things, but in intangibles and in invisibles that we can't touch or hold. And I just ask myself that same question because I demand the same of myself. It's like, how can I fit more into the day? And how far can we take the gifts and talents that God gave us? How far can we excel with these? How high can we climb? And the answer is as high as we want, depending on our willingness to trust in him and pursue. Because if I'm going to be Albrecht, Jesus is my Albert. And so knowing that, and we come back to those praying hands, it's all right there. It all comes together right there in the praying hands to climb, to exceed, to excel. And what happens if 70 million people live like that? I'll tell you what will happen. It would take maybe 90 days. It might be sooner. And this government's nonsense would stop. The noise of the left would stop because we just don't care. We'd start to appreciate beauty. The transgenders would have no space in our world because we just don't care. The children would be nurtured and would be out of the hands of the traffickers and the groomers because we do care. And there'd be a simpler form of living with a more pure form of justice that would return to the world. And we wouldn't wait for someone to be fixing stuff for us because we would fix it now. And we'd be building community because we would start to learn from one another. And we'd support one another. And there'd be all sorts of small cottage businesses that would crop up. And we'd stop buying our crap at Walmart and start do, stop doing our shopping on Amazon and we'd start looking local for solutions. We'd start innovating more and we start overcoming so many of the problems that we think we have. And when they came in with a big threatening threat of, we're going to take your house. We're going to do this. We're going to shut you down. We're going to impound your car, whatever it is. There'd be a community of people there saying, no, you won't. And those public servants, whether they were wearing a badge 
or whether they're wearing, whether they're some part of some ridiculous agency that we pay our tax dollars to, would start to understand that no means no. That we're not going to waste our time with you. We're going to waste our time in building a world that is as beautiful as the praying hands. Because our Albert is Jesus and we are the Albrechts that are going to achieve great things because of the sacrifices that were made for us and you will not get in our way. Those are the things that I think about. And those are the things, if anything, that weighs heavy on me because it's not hard. But it does take spirit and it does take commitment and it does take dedication and it does take a single word that we must embrace, which is sacrifice. And above all of that, it takes a fearless walk in our love in Christ. I want to close with something called Desiderata. It was actually written by Max Ehrman in 1927. Go placidly among the noise and the haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible without surrender, be one, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even to the dull, dull and ignorant. They too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vex, vexious to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter, for always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself, especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is a perennial, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe no less than the trees and the stars you have a right to be there. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be. And whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace in your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. Max Ehrman, 1927. Patriots, let's pray. Father, I'm just very humbled this evening as we sit before you and just blessed 
with all that's been given and reminded of the many, many things that you've gifted to us that we unfortunately tend to miss in our speed and and chaos of walking this world. As we reflected this evening, Father, on the story of two brothers, Albrecht and Albert, and this amazing sketch of the praying hands, we truly see within it that balance between and need to have sacrifice for achievement, that we don't get anywhere alone. And you have given us the greatest gift and sacrifice of all to ensure that we can have the greatest success, and that's the sacrifice of your son. So in the noise and confusion of the world, Father, we pray for calm, we pray for clarity, and we pray for the peace and balance to walk into this world, to not let the craziness get into our heads, but instead listen to the beauty that's within our hearts. Guide us, Father. We are humble ourselves before you to seek your wisdom. And Jesus, we are so blessed to be part of all that you've created and all that you control. So in this time, we pray for discernment. We pray for the pursuit of that love in the heart, the love in the kingdom way, to cast out the silliness of love being some sort of physical experience, but rather a love being a wide-ranging things of interconnectivity and perfection, the discipline to drive higher and to achieve more, the understanding that to get there is hard and it's brutal at times, the appreciation for a rebuke that makes us stronger rather than weak, the truths that come before us that sometimes rock our feet, knowing that those truths allow us to climb higher and stand taller and the understanding that within this space of love of kingdom and you father that we're only seeking greatness in and through you and all that's in the body of Christ we just pray for the many at this time of year to find that balance between the pursuit and the love the calm and the adventure and to hear your voice above all. Guide us and protect us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Home Patriots, I hope you have a very blessed evening. This is a wonderful time of the year. It's deeply reflective time with family, time to do things that can feel like we're accomplishing things other than being weighted down in the quagmire of insanity because really most of that exists in social media. Most of that exists in our news. Most of that exists in all the things that make no difference in our lives. And if you doubt me, I'll give you a suggestion. Try this test, shut everything off, pick up a recipe book and make a batch of cookies and tell me, how headlines, news, anything going on in this crazy world has changed that recipe. Because the beauty of that recipe, the beauty of those cookies are going to require one thing that you must give. 100% focus into the creation that you make and the trust 
in the Holy Spirit to work through you. And no matter how you cut that recipe, if you follow that basic formula, they'll be the best cookies you've ever made. Have a blessed evening. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deep.